Up next, Rob Smith is problematic, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. America is not a racist country. This should not be controversial to say, and no, I'm not taking it back. This is Rob Smith is problematic. Last week, uh, President Biden gave his first address to the nation, and of course, um, it, it totally flopped because nobody's talking about it. Nobody cares. Biden is boring. He's doddering. It, it's just—it's something that nobody cares about. What everyone was talking about after Biden's address was Tim Scott's GOP rebuttal to that address. And before we get into that, obviously. The most quote unquote controversial thing that he said was that America is not a racist country. And that is something that can only be controversial in America in 2021 because America in 2021 is clown world. But before I even get into that, I want to talk to you a little bit about Tim Scott, why I believe that he's such a, a great man, a great Republican, and also the future of the party. I was lucky enough, uh, I believe it was right before the pandemic, to be invited by the senator to be on a panel. That It was a Black History Month panel, and it was about literally coming together to find solutions for the African-American community. There were people from the right and left was there. I was there with Van Jones, of all people, uh, Charlemagne the God, and uh, you know a couple of other people. It was a very good conversation. It was very respectful. It's the kind of respectful conversation that you don't see a lot among African-Americans that have two differing political perspectives. So it was, it was an honor to be there. But while I was interacting with the senator and his staff for that entire day, um, I, I noticed uh, his calmness, his presence, his power, the way in which he wielded his power and his authority. It was very real, but he is not the type of person. He didn't strike me as a yeller. He speaks very calmly and very smoothly, but he projects a lot of authority. And that was what I got the most from our interaction. And the fact that this is a sitting senator who was so open and, and willing to listen to my ideas. Look, guys, I'm just somebody that runs my mouth <laughs> on podcasts and, and on cable TV all the time. But he just had a willingness to just listen to ideas. And that is what struck me about just being around the senator. I do think he's a great Republican. I do think he's a great man. And I do think that he is the future of this party in this way, in that he can speak about inequalities that exist in this country. And he can speak about um, a legacy of, of racism and racial inequality and all of that stuff. But he can do this in a way that is underlining America's greatness, but is also meant to bring us together as Americans and not to divide us as Americans. And so this is why it is his rebuttal to what Joe Biden had to say that got the most attention. Um, it is his calm authority. It is his calm power. And I want you to listen to probably about 45 seconds to a minute of this, but this was the crux of this entire speech. And I don't want you to listen to this. Shoes are being taught that the color of their skin defines them again. And if they look at it, they're an oppressor. From colleges to corporations to our culture, people are making money and gaining power by pretending we haven't made any progress at all. By doubling down on the divisions, 
we've worked so hard to heal. You know this stuff is wrong. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. It's backwards to fight discrimination with different types of discrimination. And it's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present. Whoa, there's that far right radical Tim Scott. Oh, my goodness gracious. I think he just said America is not a racist country. Well, this predictably left the left's heads completely exploding. Oh, you should have seen the articles on the root and the griot and all the race hustlers and everything else. But before we get to them, and you know, I've got a lot to say about all the race hustlers and grifters on the left because racism and the idea that racism exists and in 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 the idea that it is just such a factor in the lives of black Americans every single day. This is their bread and butter. So I will respond to this and I will echo what Tim Scott said. And I'm going to go a little bit further on this. No, America is not a racist country. To think that America is fundamentally a racist country, you would have to discount all of the progress that America has made in terms of race relations over the past hundreds of years. You would have to pretend as if none of these things happened. You would have to pretend as if people, literally hundreds of thousands of Americans did not die in a civil war basically against slavery. You would have to pretend that we as a country did not come together to fight Jim Crow laws. You would have to pretend that we as a country have not come together and devoted billions of dollars of, of taxpayer money into combating these inequalities that exist. No, America is not a racist country. That is not to say that there is not a deep racism that exists in the founding of this country. We all know that slavery is the original sin of America. We all know that Jim Crow was a thing um, in the 1960s. And we are not that far removed from Jim Crow. My grandmother can tell you about Jim Crow, all right? The slavery, the racial terrorism inflicted against blacks who tried to do things like um, own their own businesses, have their own neighborhoods, all of this stuff, redlining. We can talk about all of this stuff. But the argument that I'm going to make to you is, is this. If America was a fundamentally racist country, these things never would have changed. If America was a fundamentally racist country, we would still be living under Jim Crow. We would not have the most African-American millionaires of anywhere in the world. You know, this is a, a real thing. We have the most black millionaires in America um, of any country that has a substantial black population. If America was fundamentally racist, these things would never have changed. This is what the critical race theory people and, and the race hustlers of the left do not want to understand, do not want to listen do not want to hear. They do not want to hear this, okay? And while we're talking about critical race theory, my theory is that we have achieved so much fundamental progress as a country when it comes to racial relations. When it comes to healing the wounds of the deep racism that, that African-Americans and, and other people have faced in this country, uh, of doing things to make this a more equal country, 
critical race theory has sprouted up in the past seven to 10 years because African-Americans in this country are in the best spot that we have ever been in this country's history. And that is not hyperbole. I am not making this up. We live in a country right now, African-Americans, Latino-Americans, all Americans, where, and this is what I fundamentally believe about the greatness of this country, is that no matter what you look like, where you came from, what the color of your skin, what all of these immutable characteristics, you can make it here because we have built a system in which anyone can make it. This is a meritocracy, right? The left and the race hustlers do not want to hear this. And I'll tell you why. And I will tell you why Senator Tim Scott makes them so upset, why he drives them completely crazy. Because if enough African-Americans listen to people like Senator Tim Scott and listen to, to maybe people like me and, and people like other African-American conservatives who have made a way in America to success... And if they listen to us tell stories about how we have become successful, then that is the silver bullet to all leftist ideas because the only ideas that they have right now are completely race-based. The only message that is coming from the left and Democrats right now to African Americans is that they are victims. They are victims of racism. They are victims of oppression. They are owed money because of oppression that happened generations before them. This is the only message that they have for African Americans. And the reason that Tim Scott drives people so crazy is that he can articulate the idea that America is not a racist country, but he can also talk about the ways in which we have some movement to go and the substantial ways in which Republican policies and some Republicans have helped this along. So listen to this clip of Tim Scott. This is him on CBS's Face the Nation, right? He had to go back on Face the Nation and he did an interview and I swear to you, I saw this interview written up on one of the sites. It says, Tim Scott uh, appears on Face the Nation to defend his controversial comments about racism. So literally the idea that America, the statement that America is not a racist country is controversial, right? But I want you to listen at, at how deftly he is able to articulate this idea. Finally, our president, our vice president, and one of the leaders uh, in the Democrat, Democrat caucus in the House, Jim Clyburn, have all come forward and said exactly what I've been saying for a long time. America is not a racist country. The question is, is there a lingering effect after a couple of centuries of racism and discrimination in this nation? The answer is absolutely. The question we should be debating and fighting over is how do we resolve those issues going forward? One side says, I'm going to take from some to give to others. Fighting bigotry with bigotry is hypocrisy. It just doesn't work. The second, our side, what I've suggested is, let's expand opportunity and make sure that we are fully equipped for the challenges of the future. One of the reasons why we have fought for and won the highest level of funding for historically black colleges Republicans leading that fight is because I understand that if I can level the playing field in education, we will actually see human flourishing that, like we've never seen before. This is Tim Scott. This is who he is. And this drives the left completely insane because there is nothing that drives the left crazier 
than a minority that does not subscribe to leftist ideals, right? So this is how crazy that he has made these people. And, and, and this is how literally, like, this is the, this is how racist the left is when it comes to stuff like this. Now, you know, last week, uh, trending on Twitter was Uncle Tim, obviously a play on Uncle Tom, which is obviously a slur for a black conservative. You're, you're, you know, you're, I, I've told you, we talked about this a lot ad nauseum. You're an Uncle Tom, you know, you're a coon, you're this, you're that. A Democratic Party official in Texas is being called on to resign, all right, after calling Tim Scott a racial slur on Facebook. This white man named Gary O'Connor, who heads the Democratic Party in Lamar County, uh, which is northeast of Dallas, Texas. He went to Facebook and said, and this is literally what the head of the Democratic Party in, 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 in Lamar County, Texas, decided to go on Facebook and said, I had hoped that Scott might show some common sense, but it seems clear that he is little more than an Oreo with no real principles. So this is what people on the left are emboldened to say. There's a white man on the left, right? That is emboldened to call a, a black man who is conservative, who does not think in the way that that white Democratic official thinks that he should think that he is an Oreo. And if you've never heard Oreo before, it means that, you know, you're you're black on the outside and white on the inside. I've never understood it. I just it's it's a very strange slur. But it is this idea that there is one way to be black and that one way to be black is to be a Democrat. So, look, he's being called on to to step down by a Republican official, uh, a Republican representative in Texas, Um, a Republican congressman in Texas says Gary O'Connor's comment against Senator Tim Scott is abhorrent, insulting, and unforgivable. Both he and the entire Lamar County Democratic Party should be ashamed of this racist behavior. This man will probably not face any sort of disciplinary action. This will probably blow over because when you are on the left, racism against black Republicans is perfectly okay. It is perfectly okay. And speaking of which... There is a woman that has a show on MSNBC. Her name is Tiffany Cross. She's, I guess, you know, the poor man's Joy Reid. And uh, being the poor man's Joy Reid is not a position anybody should want to be in. But this is a black woman, calls a a allegedly progressive, you know, you know, wants to advocate for black people, whatever. This person, you know what, I'm not, I, I will go into her after you listen to what she had to say about Tim Scott. There were so many contradictions in the senator's speech that it was clear not even Scott believed the words he was speaking. I could go into great detail refuting each of his asinine points, but he did that for me. And moreover, a lesson I've learned, don't argue with people Harriet Tubman would have left behind. And sure, Tim Scott has spoken out about his encounters with law enforcement and he co-sponsored the anti-lynching bill in the Senate, but there are two sides to every token. So thirsty for white approval, this dude actually stood on the national stage to defend the voter suppression law in Georgia, even though, as of last month, 361 bills were being introduced in 47 states to keep people who look like him out of the ballot box. The ability to shame the ancestors and appease the oppressors all in one speech, that's extreme. There is so much here. I don't even know where to start, but we'll get into this, uh, the left's, you know, idea that voter ID is racist. We'll get into that in the next segment. So she says she wouldn't argue with people Harriet Tubman would have left behind. So basically, he's a slave. He's a token. 
He is shaming the ancestors for being a black Republican. And so this is the language of the left. And and I say this to you guys all the time, but you have to understand that this is it. This is their last play. People are waking up. African-Americans are waking up. And they are so afraid of Tim Scott. And another thing that they like to say about Tim Scott, he is the only black Republican senator. As if there are two black Democrat senators, okay? So they're not some bastion of diversity over in their Senate either. And that's another thing that they depend on people not really knowing these things when they say things like that. But this is the language of the left. Don't argue with people Harriet Tubman would have left behind. He's a token. He is shaming the ancestors because he does not believe that the country he lives in That the country that he has taken an an oath to serve is not fundamentally a racist country. So that is where the left is right now. And you know where they are. But I'm going to tell you where the Republican Party is. With with people like Tim Scott, with people like me, with people of all different races, sexual orientations, whatever, waking up. This is a party full of people that know that America is not a racist country. This is a party full of people that are waking up to the opportunity that is here for all Americans, regardless of skin color, regardless of immutable characteristics. This is a party of people that are waking up to the promise of America. And the only way the left can continue to exist, the only way these Democrats can continue to exist is if they use the language of race and racism to keep all of these people that they have trapped over there asleep. Well, I've got one message for them. We are awake. We are the truly woke. And we are not going back to sleep. And we're about to wake some of your people up as well. Next up, the left has now decided that voter ID is racist, and now woke corporations have followed suit. I will tell you why this is so dangerous after the break. I just want to let you guys know that um, Stacey Abrams has still not conceded the uh, her loss in the uh, 2018 Georgia gubernatorial election. <laughs> just, you know, play cut four. It's been over two years, and you still refuse to concede that you lost the race for governor in Georgia in 2018. You have said that, quote, you do not concede that the process was proper, and that, quote, they stole it from the voters of Georgia. Yes or no, today, do you still maintain that the 2018 Georgia election was stolen? As I have always said, I acknowledged at the very beginning that I, that Brian Kemp won under the rules that were in place. What I object to are rules that permitted thousands of Georgia voters to be denied their participation in this election or to have their votes cast out. And so I will continue to disagree with the system until it is fixed. We have seen market progress made, and unfortunately it was undone in SB202, but I will continue to advocate for a system that permits every eligible Georgian to cast their ballots. Ms. Abrams, I'm I'm going to ask you to to please answer the question I asked, which is, do you, yes or no, do you still maintain the 2018 election was stolen? That's your language. My full language was that it was stolen from the voters of Georgia. We do not know what they would have done because not every eligible Georgian was permitted to participate fully in the election. 
Okay. So, Stacey Abrams has still not conceded her election. By the way, <laughs> neither is Hillary Clinton. So maybe they can, uh, you know, have coffee together, have a little <laughs> sore loser support group. Uh, but it's so funny that even though she hasn't conceded her election, even though she's been running around talking about that election has been stolen for two, for two years, she's not run off social media. She's not censored. She's not. You know, they don't when they're writing stories about this, they don't put these addendums that say, well, there has been no widespread evidence of election fraud. You know, that's what they do, you know, when when Trump says something about the 2020 election. But I, I just want to say and, and I want I'm going to get into to this Georgia voter ID thing. I'm going to get into that a little bit. But I just want to take a second to behold the power of a mainstream media that can make an absolute mediocrity like Stacey Abrams a superstar. I, I'm literally I'm talking about these uh the, the features with her in superhero poses. You know, she's got the light behind her and the smoke coming up. It's ridiculous. Like she's on the cover of Marie Claire right now. Um, because that is, you know, what you think about when you uh, think about covers of fashion magazines. It, it, it is really quite something to watch. It is stepping outside of itself. Sometimes you even have to admire the the gumption of the left because they will use all of the resources they have at their disposal to make these people superstars, to make this woman some some kind of hero. So even outside of all of that. So now the the big, you know, the big race thing for the left is, uh, you know, these this Georgia, um, this new Georgia voting laws. This is this is voter suppression. This is uh, Jim Crow. This is, you know, all of this other stuff. And and just listen to um, Chuck Schumer on on this Georgia ID law. And then I'm going to kind of break that down to you a little bit. Exactly what's going on. Play play uh, clip 11. These voter suppression laws, more than 250 proposed laws in more than 40 states, constitute a grave and immediate threat to the very core of our democracy. In ways both large and small, they seek to restrict the franchise, often targeting minority communities, younger voters, and dense urban districts. Our Republican colleagues have tried in vain to defend these laws as meaningful and appropriate protections against voter fraud. In many cases, those attempts have been just laughable. Just to take one example from earlier this week, the Republican-led Montana state legislature passed a law that ends Election Day voter registration and would no longer allow student IDs to be used as a sole valid form of identification. Just think about that for a moment. What problems are the Republicans in Montana trying to solve there? Has there been a rash of 40-year-olds showing up with student IDs to commit voter fraud? No, certainly hasn't been. We all know what's going on here. Younger voters have been shown to be more democratic. So Montana Republicans have made it harder for them to vote. It's despicable, just despicable. So there's a lot going on here, but let me just break down that last thing that Chuck Schumer said about the student IDs. So you are all aware of, and I'm pretty sure Chuck Schumer is aware of as well. These are not, these are not stupid people. Um, he is aware that people that are illegal immigrants can get student IDs. Um, in, in most states, right? That is a form of ID that illegal, that younger illegal immigrants of voting age can't have. They are aware of that, correct? Um, just like the fact that illegal immigrants um, are able to get in-state tuition from a lot of these universities. And so they know this, but they are counting on you not to know it. 
And the reason why, um, of, of course, younger voters tend to be more democratic because they listen to, to Lil Nas X and LeBron James and all these all these idiots. Um, but they know this and they expect you not to know it. But but let me tell you something. There's a reason behind um, this suppression language, and, th- and there's a reason behind this Jim Crow language. There's a reason behind all of this stuff, like all of the, you know, uh, Joe Biden's calling this new voter ID law, the new Jim Crow and all this stuff. And you have to realize this, that language is used like this to emotionally manipulate black voters um, and, and the, the white liberals who feel this constant and patronizing need to save us because facts go out of a window when they say something is racist and when they talk about Jim Crow, then everything becomes a narrative. And let me tell you this, the idea that black Americans are too stupid to get a photo ID is offensive. And the Jim Crow talking points that they're using don't generally seem to be used when talking about states like the dim controlled Rhode Island, who has had voter ID laws well over a decade ago and has had them for a decade ago. And Rhode Island, by the way, has not voted for a Republican in 36 years. Democrats on the left seem less concerned with the voter ID laws in places in which they already control. So this is about controlling. And let's break down uh, a couple of things about this Georgia voter ID law. Early Sunday voting is now mandated into law. And it expands weekend voting before general elections. Uh, the law mandates voting hours on two Saturdays of the month statewide. It mandates that ballot drop boxes be located inside early voting locations for security. And about these drop boxes, these drop boxes that are now a permanent part of our electoral landscape. Prior to the 2020 election, drop boxes weren't even used very much. They weren't used at all in Georgia. They were brought in as a part of the emergency COVID action. Now, this new law basically enshrines the, these these drop boxes into the electoral process forever. And the left is mad that they want some control as to where those ballot drop boxes are. Of course, they should be located inside secure locations. But I'm going to drop some more knowledge on you guys. And I'm going to tell you something. This assault against voter ID And this assault against election integrity laws, this stuff is not about black Americans. This is not about black Americans at all. Um, The number of black registered voters in Georgia increased by about 130,000 between 2016 and 2020. There was record breaking turnout. Democrats do not have a problem turning out black voters. So this voter ID stuff is not stopping them. There was a very interesting study that came out of the University of of, uh, California in San Diego. They found that Latino voters are less likely to vote to the tune of about 10 percentage points when voter IDs are strict, when voter ID laws are enforced. And so this isn't necessarily about black voters that Democrats do not have any problem turning out. This is about getting these Latino voters in there. And if they can weaken voter ID laws, if they can call voter ID laws racist and all this other stuff, while simultaneously, by the way, weakening our southern border and letting literally hundreds of thousands of people are crossing this border every single day. Then in 20 years, the conversation is about, well, we have all of these tens of millions of people here. They should be able to vote. Them not being able to vote is racist. And that is what this is all about. You have to understand that these people play the long game. And 
That is just what this is. And and once again, they're using the, the legacy of racism. They're using all of this stuff that, that black Americans in this country has has faced to emotionally manipulate them and use them as pawns because they are not interested in increasing their black vote. They are interested in increasing their Latino vote. The only way they can do that is if they get as many people in the vote as possible with, with no ID. And with these lies, with this Jim Crow language, with the, the race language, all of this stuff, this is pretty much setting the stage for the woke left takeover of these corporations. And so when the left uses and teams up to use their considerable resources, their considerable resources to push election integrity measures and voter ID laws as racist. And they use these corporations and all of this stuff to amplify um, their their messages. When they when they use these corporations to, to amplify these messages, um, they start engaging in, in a sort of economic blackmail. When it comes to these states, and, and this is the next game that they're pushing right now. And when it comes to Stacey Abrams and when it comes to this voter ID law and when it comes to the 2018 election, I want you to listen to what Governor Kemp has to say about the facts of, of, of that election and about Stacey Abrams and how she has this entire conversation. Go ahead and play that at number 10. Well, you know, what's interesting is she never brings up the facts about the election or the past election or, or this past 2020 election. I mean, the fact of the matter is in the 2018 election, Georgia had the largest African-American turnout in the country when you look at those races. So for her to be saying things like that, there's absolutely no basis behind that. In Georgia, we've had accessible, secure, fair elections for many, many years. We've seen a minority participation turnout, even with the photo ID requirement that some people say is you know racist and suppressive. It is not. Everyone's got a photo ID. If you don't have one, we'll give you one for free. And even in this bill that we just passed, the legislature's making those available. But last year in the whole state of Georgia, I think there was only 56 of those IDs that were even given out. So these numbers that they throw out just don't add up. And people need to know that this group is lying to you and they are profiting from that and from this campaign and it's only hurting hardworking Georgia business owners and those folks that work with them and we're going to stand up and fight and everybody else across the country needs to too because they're going to come for your game next you know they're going to come from your business your way of life that is the fight we're in and he is absolutely right this is the new tactic if the left and, you know, the people, you know, like these commentators and these celebrities and, and these athletes and all these people, if they can hijack this conversation right now and they can convince people that requiring any kind of voter ID is racist, then that's it. And they will use this stuff to engage in economic blackmail against these states. And Kent brought up the fact that Georgia does have a, a voter, a free voter ID that lasts up to eight years. You can get this for free used specifically for the purpose of voting. Um, you just need your voter registration card. So ask yourself, with these considerable resources that the left has, you know, they have everybody in media, they have everybody in entertainment, they have all of these corporations, all of that stuff. Why not engage in a campaign to make sure that every single person that is a registered voter get an ID? 
Because like I said, this is not about making sure registered voters get IDs. This is not about turning out registered voters. This is about greasing the wheels to make it easier for people who are illegal immigrants to vote. Because we are getting to the point right now, I thought it was going to happen in 2020. It didn't happen in 2020. Maybe it'll happen in 2024. This stranglehold that the Democrats have on African-American voters is loosening. This is something that is loosening. It is a very real thing. And I believe that the only reason they were able to pull it off in 2020 is because of COVID and because of mail-in voting. If COVID never happened and mail-in voting did not happen, they would not have been able to pull this off. I truly believe this. And they know that they are losing black minds. They are losing black voters. So they have to replace these voters with Latinos and not just legal Latinos. They want illegal immigrants as well. This is what they want. This is the long game. These people play the long game. They they, they plan these things decades in advance. They know what they're doing. And he is absolutely right. So this economic blackmail, this is a tactic that is being used by the left and it will spread to other states that they do not control. Georgia is just the start. They will start coming for, you saw Chuck Schumer talk about Montana. They will do this to every single state. And let me tell you this. So there was a, uh, a, a movie that, uh, Will Smith had a deal for with, uh, with Apple, Apple, uh, called Emancipation. It was a slave movie. It was playing a runaway slave because, you know, black people always have to be reminded of slavery and Jim Crow in America all the time, even through our, our, our entertainment or else we may, uh, may remember that we're not victims and that we live in the greatest country in the world and that we have more black millionaires in America than there are in anywhere else in the world. But, you know, you don't want people to know that. You want them to always see slavery, Jim Crow, pain, whatever. So this movie, they had a $120 million deal for this movie. It was to shoot in Georgia. It is not shooting Georgia anymore. They pulled it out of Georgia. The MLB, you've heard about that. The All-Star game that got pulled from Georgia because of this quote-unquote racist voter ID law that will cost the state $100 million. And this is economic blackmail. I am telling you guys, if the left can define any sort of voter ID laws and election integrity measures as racist, and they can get their stooges in these corporations to follow suit, they will grease the wheels for the long-term plan, which is to turn the tens of millions of illegal immigrants that are here in America right now, not to mention the, the ones that will be here in five to 10 years, into new voters. This is the left's tactic right now. And I have a um, a new person in my life that I just got red pilled. I won't tell you who she is, but um, this person manages a, uh, a a store and was doing very well during COVID and all this other stuff. But now there is so much free money coming from the government that people do not want to work. They are not coming into work. She is having to pick up the slack, and she said, "I will never vote for this again." She voted for Biden Harris. She said, "I will never vote for this again." Because now what the left wants to do, if they can influence corporations to take a public stand against this and say that any sort of voter ID and election integrity is racist, then they're greasing the wheels towards having all of these illegal immigrants come in and vote for them, while at the same time, they're getting people used to free money. They're getting people used to free money. They're getting people used to this slide into socialism. And that is, guys, exactly what is going on here. Like I told you before, this is not about black people. This is not about black voters. The Democrats have that they are done 
with black voters. They've got upwards of 90%. They, in their minds, they're not losing them, right? This is about getting more Latino voters. And if these weak corporations do not start standing up to the far left woke mobs on Twitter and start standing up and saying that we cannot always take the side of the far left because these people don't have that much power. They just have a more of a bully pulpit. If these corporations do not start standing up to the woke left, then they will be lost to this. And if Georgia doesn't stand up and fight for election integrity right now, then that is it. They will weaken these laws so much to where they will be permanently in power because that is what the left wants. The only thing that the left cares, they do not care about these black voters. They do not care about the working class. If they cared about the working class, they wouldn't cancel the Keystone Pipeline, which put tens of thousands of people out of jobs. Like These people don't care about the working class. They care about power. And this idea that voter ID and voter integrity and all of that stuff is racist, this is just a slippery slope. This is just another cog in the wheel that is they're just complete thirst for power so when you hear this stuff know exactly what it is and to these woke corporations you get a spine now you stand up now you fight back now or if not these people will own you in perpetuity biden has announced his plan to withdraw american troops from afghanistan and the swamp doesn't like it i will tell you how i feel about the withdrawal and how i feel about some of the swampy response after the break. All right, guys, let's back off BLM and, and race and, and all of this stuff for a little bit, because I promise you I can speak of other things that God knows I want to. I'm over it. So President Biden, Joe Biden, has set a September 11th deadline for the withdrawal of troops from Iraq. And there are a lot of differing opinions on this right now. And I'm going to, I'm going to play one of you, one for you a little bit later. But I have to say that I actually agree with this. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to give you a veteran's perspective. So I, I served in the military for, for five years. I was infantry. I did, uh, I did a tour in Kuwait. I did a tour in Iraq. I actually agree with withdrawing the troops because I do not believe in endless war. I do believe that we should get our troops out of these endless wars in the Middle East right now, point blank period. That is how I feel about this. I feel about, I feel like the war in Iraq has not been worth the upwards of 4,000 American lives that have been lost there. I do not believe that. I was deployed in Iraq for just under a year. Um, and I'm going to be completely honest. I, I wrote a book about this. It's called Always a Soldier. Um, you can find it on, on Amazon.com, find it on Google, uh, find it on, on, on my Twitter. There was so much time that I personally spent in Iraq. There, there was a lot of time that we were spent literally wondering what on earth we were doing there. And the, the way that uh, Iraq, you know, came out, the way that it turned out, it, it just ended up being to me, you know, it, it's just a failed state. And we're finally getting the rest of our troops out of there. But when it comes to Afghanistan and, and these endless wars, you're now getting to a point where you have the sons of soldiers, right, that serve there that are actually serving in these wars right now. And when we get into endless wars in the Middle East, wars that, that never end, it's demoralizing for American troops. And it's honestly... It lets these people over there, these these Afghani troops, these Iraqi troops, whatever, it lets them believe 
that we're always going to be there to literally like, you know, like, you know, wipe their noses. We're always going to be there to infantilize them. These people need to learn how to run their own countries, period. I am so tired of American soldiers being the, you know, the, the world police. And, you know, I'm so tired of our young men and women in uniform uh, being pawns for the, the swamp in their games, because these people, let me tell you something. These people love endless war. And, you know, I agree with this. And strangely enough, so does President Trump. And, and we all knew that President Trump was against forever war as well. This is why he was targeted by the swamp. This is why these people a part of the, a part of the reason why that people hated him so much. President Trump called this a wonderful and positive thing to do. He had set a uh, May 1st withdrawal deadline. And, and President Trump says that we should keep as close to that schedule as possible. This is, I, I think, from his statement that was reported by CNN. Um, and this is very interesting. Um, and this is a take that, that, that former President Trump had on this. He said, I wish Joe Biden wouldn't use September 11th as the date to withdraw our troops from Afghanistan for two reasons. First, we, sh- we can and should get out earlier. 19 years is enough. In fact, far too much and way too long. He said September 11th represents a very sad event and period for our country and should remain a a day of reflection and remembrance, honoring those great souls, souls we lost. I completely agree with this. I completely agree with it. And not to get conspiracy theorists with you guys. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not even far right. People call me far right. It's laughable to me, but it's almost like these people want to mute the memory of what happened on September 11th and use this, 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 this troop withdrawal date and put it on that date so that we do not remember um, the fact that, you know, America was hit with one of the worst terrorist attacks in, in our history on September 11th. And the, the conspiracy theorist in me that, that sort of like quote unquote far right fringe person that lives in me wonders this, but either way, the troops are coming out. I agree with it. I agree with Joe Biden. I agree with President Trump. I, I agree with this. It is time for these troops to go. Unsurprisingly, there are some swampy Republicans who do not like this. I want you to listen to uh, the Senator Bersaro, um as to to what he had to say. And this is a Republican, mind you. So uh, play uh, play cut six for me. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a mistake, Andrea. I think the decision of any leader, when they make a decision based on the calendar on the wall, which is what President Biden has done, saying September 11th, rather than the conditions on the ground, I think they live to regret those decisions. I think what we're going to see, if the U.S. pulls out, NATO will pull out, and the Taliban will take over again. Uh, the president's military advisors advised against this, as did his intelligence advisors. They have said this is going to turn the clock back on the, the women of Afghanistan, you know, girls trying to go to school to get an education will once again be killed. Uh, This will also set up a safe haven for those that want to do harm and danger to people all around the country and around the world, not just our country, but around the world. This will be a haven for uh, terrorists. And, you know, people in the United States may say, well, we're tired of fighting radical Islamists. They're not tired of fighting us. So we need to be ever vigilant. 
so this is ridiculous. And number one, that's uh, John Barrasso. Sorry, this is a, a senator from Wyoming. And oh my God, okay, the, there's there's so much to 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 break down from that. Uh, so first of all, the this is the kind of, you know he's a Republican. He's got an R by his name. This is the kind of swamp that President Trump was fighting against when he was president. This person probably, if President Trump was reelected for another term, this person would probably have said this still. And, and would have gone to all the news media. Maybe they would have used him to be against Trump or whatever. What people don't understand is that there is an element of the swamp that goes on both sides of the aisle. There is an element of the swamp that loves forever war. They would like to keep our troops our soldiers, our brave young men and women in uniform, they would like to keep them overseas for as long as they possibly could because you have to understand these things enrich them. Okay. So think back to, uh, think back to Bush Cheney. Um, and, and I'm going to get into, to George W. Bush after the next break, but think about Bush Cheney and think about Halliburton, right? The uh, oil field services corporation, right? So Halliburton gained $39.5 billion in federal contracts related to the Iraq war. Dick Cheney, Stepped down as CEO of Halliburton around the time he got the nod to be Bush's VP. So you have to understand that there is a large element of the swamp that becomes and has become very wealthy due to forever war. They become very wealthy when they keep our American troops overseas as long as possible. And this is what President Trump was fighting against. The swamp was what he was fighting against. He was fighting against continuing to sacrifice our American soldiers for a quagmire, for a war that would be endless should we not end it now. So when I tell you that the swamp runs deep, I am not surprised that there are some swampy Republicans that do not like this pullout of troops out of Afghanistan. Um, they, they do not like it. You know, it, it, it gives them an excuse because they can be against Biden, but they did not want this, um, even when Trump was advocating for it. And this was um, Senator Lindsey Graham's reaction via Twitter to to Trump's statement where he said that, yes, he absolutely agrees with this, because here's the thing. And you say what you want about Donald Trump. A lot of people have. But that man was consistent. The things that he was consistent about, he was consistent with. And he did not let the swamp influence him in that way. And so this is what Lindsey Graham said about about Trump's statement and, and his basically his statement of support for taking our troops out of Afghanistan. I could not disagree more with former President Trump regarding his support for President Biden's withdrawal of all forces from Afghanistan against sound military advice. With all due respect to former President Trump, there is nothing wonderful or positive about allowing safe havens and sanctuary for terrorists to reemerge in Afghanistan or see Afghanistan be drawn back into another civil war. So, like I said, the swamp is deep. God knows how much money Lindsey Graham is making. And God knows how many lobbyists have been like, God, not like, I, Jesus Christ, how long has that man been in, been in DC? These people don't have any, any sort of, uh, a semblance, uh, any sort of vision, any sort of ties to what the real world is outside of this. But when I talk about the swamp and I, and I talk to you a little bit about Cheney Bush and, and, and Halliburton and all of that stuff. And, and speaking of good old George Bush, well, he is on this repugnant media tour 
where he is he is basically trying to whitewash his entire history. And of course, the left loves loves a Republican that can be used against where the Republican Party is right now. And he has some thoughts about the state of the modern uh, Republican Party. And this is what uh, he said to he, he's on book tour for some book of paintings. And obviously he's getting some fawning interview from the Today Show. Like, OK, whatever. So uh, play play cut 21. If you were to describe the Republican Party as you see it today, yeah. how would you describe it? Uh, I would describe it as isolationist, protectionist, and to a certain extent, nativist. Hmm. Are, you, are you disappointed? Well, it's not exactly my vision, yeah. but you know what? I'm just an old guy they put out to pasture, so <laughs> just a simple painter. The simple painter. Okay, let me give you a hypothetical candidate for 2024. Okay. okay this hypothetical Republican is pro-immigration, pro-path to citizenship for undocumented workers, yeah. pro-DACA, pro-reasonable gun control, yeah. pro-education funding for public schools. Does that person have a shot, or that Republican, would that Republican have a shot in 2024? Sure. Yeah. You think? I think so. I think that uh, it depends upon uh, the emphasis. I think if the emphasis is integrity and decency and trying to work to get problems solved, I think the person has a shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It seems like you've... By the way, yeah. I think pro-immigration isn't the right way to put it. I yeah. think border enforcement with a compassionate touch. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. That's how I would put it. All right, that's a good immigration basically means let's just open up the borders, and nobody's really for that. And right. you can't have a country that has open borders. Uh-oh, you know, George Bush had to stop himself uh, at that last segment. He almost said something that was uh, that was conservative-leaning. And, and look, like I said, to, to me, you know, there's there's not much that's more repugnant right now than than the whitewashing of George W. Bush by the leftist media because he can be used to attack the Republican Party right now. And so I just have to respond to that. I was a very young soldier when he made the decision to start the fake war in Iraq, the start the war that cost over 4000 American troops their lives. And I don't think that I ever forgave him for it. Like I told you guys, I served in Iraq. I was there and it, it just what the. There were never any WMDs. We all know that stuff. We all know it was it was fake. It, it wasn't real. And I am glad that that war is finally winding down. And so this George W. Bush, this person, this this oh he's talking about oh he's so decent and and we need decency and all this stuff. This is the same George W. Bush that started a fake war, and the same George W. Bush that was the leader of a Republican Party whose only way, mind you, the only way they could think of to reach out to black voters is to stoke kind of like anti-gay bigotry to uh, appeal to the so-called black religious rights, right? They had no other way to, to reach out to black voters, right? And so right now, this new Republican Party that we're in, and, and by the way, let's just talk about this. Um, so she's asking him about this, this moderate Republican candidate who doesn't sound like a Republican candidate at all to me. It sounds like some Democrats idea of what Republican they want, which is basically a Democrat. Um, there's not going to be any Republican that comes out in 2024 that is going to be for p- funding public schools. The public schools are failing. So they're going to be pro school choice, which they should be. There's not going to be any Republican that is about, quote unquote, moderate gun control, because any Republican knows that when you start messing with the Second Amendment, that is a slippery slope. And when you give the left an inch, they take a mile. There's not going to be any Republican like that. So this idea that there's going to be some mythical Democrat 
Republican creation that people are going to go for in 2024 is ridiculous because even if they found this person and even if this person got the nomination, they would be smeared as a racist and a white supremacist and all these other things that they smear the Republican Party as. And which brings me back to what the party is right now. The American, the, the Republican Party right now is diverse. It puts America first. Right. And so let's just talk about some differences between the Republican Party now and the Republican Party as it was under George W. Bush. President Trump, former President Trump, is the first Republican president in American history. As a matter of fact, no, excuse me. He is the first president in American history to enter office as a marriage equality supporter. Trump and in that administration, other people had no problem with gay and lesbian Americans was not a thing. The Republican Party, as it stands right now, knows how to reach out to African-American and Latino voters and doesn't have to demonize another group in order to do that. They know that you talk to African-American voters about school choice and remind them that, yes, these public schools are failing and throwing more money at them is not the answer to this problem. And they know that the way to reach out to Latino voters is to remind them, especially those Cubans. Cause let me tell you something. These Cubans hate socialism and communism. They are not about it. And the way to reach out to those voters is to just show them what the left is doing and show them the path to communism and socialism that they are trying to put this country on. So what he's responding to is he's responding to a Republican Party that is a lot, a lot less swampy than the Republican Party that he presided over or the Republican Party that Dick Cheney presided over, right? And so that is what he was responding to. So I reject completely and wholeheartedly this idea that the Republican Party under people like Trump and DeSantis and Christy Noem and, and all of these people is nativist, or it's isolationist. No, the problem that George W. Bush has is that this party is no longer a party of elitists. This is now the party of the working class that puts America first. And George W. Bush and all of his all of his swampy cronies like Nicole Wallace, she's over on MSNBC. Um, George W. Like they are being. At this point right now, um, they are being sort of the sort of like whitewashed by the left because they can be used to attack the America first policies of this modern Republican Party. So honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth. George W. Bush says that they have put him out to pasture. He needs to be put out to pasture. He's just going ahead and keep on painting because this Republican Party is not his anymore. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are fully vaccinated, so why on earth are they still wearing masks? We'll dig into the mixed vaccine messaging after the break. All right, as we turn the corner into the uh, the last bit of today's show, COVID is also turning the corner in our society. This pandemic is almost over, scamdemic, pandemic, whatever you want to call it. No, it, it was real. I had to, COVID is very real. Um, there are over 500,000 people that lost their lives to COVID. Um, and, and we, we pray for their families and, and it is definitely a, a real thing. But there is a, a lot of mixed messaging that is going on in, in terms of vaccination. But before we get into all that, um, I, I want to play you, um, President Biden talking about the amount of people that have been vaccinated. You can play uh, number 14. 
When tomorrow's vaccine and vaccination numbers come out, we'll show that today we did it. Today we hit 200 million shots in the 92nd day in office. 200 million shots in 100 days, in under 100 days, actually. Oh, my God. It's just, you know, first of all, before we even get into COVID, does anybody ever realize how little we actually see Biden uh, speak? Um, he, he never really takes any press conferences. I'll get into that next segment. But it's just like even listening to him, like it just feel like I want to take a nap. He just makes me tired. It's like they just this guy is sleeping through this presidency. It's like they they poke him up from his nap and then they just, you know, roll him out there to to say something that he has read off the teleprompter. And it's like, this is literally, he gives these seven minute speeches and it's like, he's about to fall asleep halfway through them. But anyway, I mean, this is, this is a good thing. You know, we got, you know, $200 million, 200 million shots on the 92nd day in office, 200 million shots in under a hundred days. That is great. So thank you, President Trump. Thank you, President Trump, for this, because if it weren't for Operation Warp Speed, this never would have been happening. And let's just take a journey back to what was said about Operation Warp Speed by the mainstream media. They said, oh, this is never going to work. This is too rushed. This is whatever. And these people, the same people, the the same blue check marks, the same, you know, liberals at these, um, you know, news station, and all that stuff, the same people who are celebrating this from Joe Biden right now were saying that Trump could never make it happen. And it's so interesting that they are so eager to take credit for this stuff now. Because they were deliberately sowing distrust for it while Trump was in office. I remember Kamala Harris did some interview where she was basically like, well, I don't know if we can trust it if it comes from Trump. And this is what these people were saying. And so now that the vaccines are out and they're coming out under Biden, you know, now it's it's this big su- success. Thanks to what President Trump had did. Right. Has done. And as far as the vaccine, I'm going to give you how I personally think about the vaccine. As for me, I have personally made the decision not to take the vaccine. I had COVID Um, last November. I had COVID. I am a pretty healthy guy. I had uh, I felt like crap for a couple of days and then I felt a little bit like crap one day and then it was over. So I'm naturally immune to COVID. So in my estimation for myself, if I'm a young, healthy guy, Why would I need to take a vaccine for a virus that has a 99.9% recovery rate? And number one, for something that I've already recovered from. And what I hate about this, what I hate about everything. um, And by the way, I have to mention that I have a mother and sister that have, excuse me, a mother and grandmother um, that have have comorbidities. My mother has a comorbidity um, and my grandmother is in her 80s and they could not wait to take the vaccine. And I was I could not wait for them to take the vaccine. I'm all about it for them because my, if my mother gets hospitalized, she's in a lot of trouble with, with lung problems. Um, and if my grandmother gets hospitalized, she's in a lot of trouble. So my advice is if you're somebody that has comorbidities and if you're going to be in trouble, if you get COVID, like you need to, to take this vaccine. But then there's other information um, that we're just now figuring out, which was, I believe it was upwards of 80% of people that were even hospitalized for COVID were obese. So, of course, we're never, you know, we're never stating that. And the funniest thing for me and, the, you know, you know, the left is going to be fat shaming, whatever. The funniest thing to me is when I see heavier, heavy set people walking around the street, nobody around them, but they have masks on. 
And so when I look at these people, I'm just like, you obviously are not taking a, a whole hell of a lot of care of your body um, in, in other ways. So COVID is probably the least of your worries. So that's just, that's just always funny to me. But what I hate about everything that's happening with COVID right now is this this mixed messaging about what vaccination is supposed to mean. Because, you know, pardon me if I'm wrong, if, if I'm crazy, um, I know we're living in clown world, but I thought that when people started taking the vaccinations, I thought that when these vaccinations started becoming widely available and widely distributed and people were able to take them, that means that I could do things like uh, walk around outside without a mask. I thought that meant that I could do things like go to a restaurant without a mask. I thought that I could do normal things. I could go back to normal. I thought that that was what this entire thing was about. And so there is so much mixed messaging that is coming uh, about what vaccination is supposed to mean. So I'll give you a case and example. Both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are vaccinated, and yet they continue to allow themselves to be photographed with their masks on. It is ridiculous. It makes zero sense. So if the American public knows that these people are vaccinated and they thought that vaccination was supposed to prove that, you know, you don't have to wear these masks anymore. You don't have to do this anymore. Um, why are they being photographed w- while wearing masks? It doesn't make sense. And, and with Dr. Fauci, oh, my God, I'm so sick of Dr. Fauci. I do not know what to do because he has been wrong so many steps of the way. In a debate that I want to see, a debate that I would like to watch, I would like to watch uh, March 2021 Dr. Fauci debate March 2020 Dr. Fauci. If there is anybody that is more overexposed in this whole COVID-19 pandemic, if there is anybody that America needs to stop listening to, if there is anybody that we need to just poke the air out of this balloon and put all that hot air somebody else, it is Dr. Fauci. I am so tired of him. And Senator Rand Paul is as well. Uh, play 22. This is what uh, what Senator Rand Paul has to say uh, about Dr. Fauci and Biden and, the, and this whole mixed messaging vaccination mess. The science is about proving that things are happening. If Dr. Fauci can prove that people who are vaccinated are spreading the disease, I will listen to him. If he can prove that people like me who have already had it are spreading the disease, I'll listen to him. But there is no evidence of that. If you want more people to get vaccinated, Joe Biden should go on national TV, take his mask off and burn it, light a torch to it and burn his mask and say, I've had the vaccine. I am now safe from this plague. If you'll get the vaccine, you can be safe, too. But instead, they say, well, the vaccine might not work in some sort of planetary world we're not aware of. The vaccine might not work. Well, there's no evidence of it. The burden of proof should be on the government to prove that we are spreading it and then we'll listen to them. But instead, it sounds sort of like fear mongering. Yeah, I mean, you hear these numbers that something like 6,000 people out of 63 million, um, something like that, uh, got 
COVID after they were vaccinated. Um, So what do you say about that? But if you look at that number, you're right. A very, very small people got infected. Do you know how many people were hospitalized? And do you know how many people died after the vaccine? The vaccine's an amazing thing. So is natural infection if you get it the hard way. You don't want to wish that on people. But people have survived it. We shouldn't discount it. But the vaccination has virtually zero hospitalizations and virtually zero deaths. In fact, I'm not aware of any. Reinfection from people who have had it is very low number. Most people get a mild course of it, and there's a rare, rare, if ever, reinfection that caused a fatality. So really, we should appreciate immunity, both naturally acquired and by vaccine. But you know why people don't trust the government? Because the government's saying, oh no, everyone's the same. Whether you've had the disease or not, you have to be vaccinated. If you're 10 years old, you need, you know, it's this one-size-fits-all that people know that this isn't as dangerous for young people, but it's very dangerous after a certain age and for overweight people. And of course, he is absolutely right. Of course, he is the voice of reason. And look, with this mixed messaging on vaccination and all that stuff, the again, that that loony right wing conspiracy theorist that lives in me really wonders why. They are continuing to put these images out just of, of Biden and Harris and masks. Why um, is Fauci continuing to put out this mixed messaging? Why there are people there is some some idiot reporter that uh, that I that came up on Instagram. And, and this person, she had gotten vaccinated and she was like, well, I'm still wearing my mask and I'm still wearing all this. And I'm just like, well, if you have gotten vaccinated, what is the point of still wearing masks? So the point is. They have figured out a way to control you. They will use this fear to control you. Look, get the vaccine. Do not get the vaccine. But if you have already had COVID or if you have gotten the vaccine, there is no reason for you to be walking around without a mask on. And I am very skeptical of the reasons that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris continue to do it. Next up. They're already talking about Joe Biden running for president again in 2024. Jesus. Joe Biden is struggling his way through the first 90 days of his term, but they're already talking about uh, they're already talking about Biden 2024. Listen to uh, to Jen Psaki uh, talk about Biden 2020, uh, 2024 uh, clip 16. And I understand what you're asking me is what happens in 2024, right? Or is that what you're asking me? Well, that's a long time away, but the president has every intention of getting reelected and certainly uh, ensuring uh, that he is uh, implementing policies where uh, climate, addressing our climate crisis, putting Americans back to work, go hand in hand, which is absolutely his desire and his commitment will be a part of his continuing agenda. Putting Americans back to work. Well, you know, tell that to the uh, tens of thousands of people that got laid off when he canceled the Keystone Pipeline as one of the first things he did he did in his presidency. So, yeah, he's he's getting people back to work. Uh, but look, this man, he has barely gotten through the first three months of this presidency. And the fact that he's been able to, to get this far and he's barely making it and he is being completely completely propped up by all of the usual suspects. He is being propped up by mainstream media. He is being propped up by Hollywood. He has been propped up by these reporters, everyone in the idea that he's going to even have the stamina to run a real presidential race in 2024 is to me laughable. This is a man that has, look, 
we just have to keep it. We just have to keep it very honest when it comes to Joe Biden. His best days are behind him. He looks frail. He looks old. He looks like he always either just woke up from a nap or can't wait to get back to one. This is not a leader. He looks weak. There is no mistake right now that our, our enemies are circling. It's almost like we're like, you know, they're vultures circling, you know, the, this weak leadership because the man is weak and there's nothing there's you can't really say anything more about it than it was weak. And let me tell you something. You can say a lot about President Trump. I, I had the opportunity to meet President Trump multiple times. Uh, this is a very physically imposing man. He's very physically tall and physically strong. And this is some per- this is somebody that got up every single day, battled mainstream media, was in the press conferences, was flying from here to there. This is somebody that had a lot of stamina. And to go from the amount of stamina that he had in that strong leadership to Joe Biden, who is being hidden half the time and being propped up by the mainstream media that are making themselves look even more ridiculous than they did before. And to think that this person has every intention of running again in 2024, it is ridiculous. So he has done one press conference. He has done one press conference. In his entire presidency so far. And in these, these are the kinds of questions uh, that he gets when, when he does a press conference. Um, I want you to play uh, clip 19 for me. This is uh, from uh, for a reporter from PBS. Uh, this is, this is the, the hard-hitting questions Biden gets. You've said over and over again that immigrants shouldn't come to this country right now. This isn't the time to come. That message is not being received. Instead, the perception of you that got you elected as a moral, decent man is the reason why a lot of immigrants are coming to this country and entrusting you with unaccompanied minors. How do you resolve that tension? And how are you choosing which families can stay and which can can go, given the fact that even though with Title 42, there are some families that are staying? And is there a timeline for when we won't be seeing these? overcrowded facilities with run by CPB when it comes to unaccompanied minors. So these are the kinds of questions that Joe Biden gets from the mainstream media. Oh, he's so moral. He's so just, this is the perception of you. And so he's done one press conference. These are the kinds of questions that he gets. He's not having to work very hard. And by the way, remember that um, the uh, the there was a book on his podium where there were reporters circled with their faces. There were photos of him and their faces were, were circled. So he knew exactly who to call on. He knew exactly what was going on. So he is being propped up in this way and he is being propped up by everyone. And he still still seems weak, frail, etc. So this is basically what everybody's thinking. This is what I, I think. This is what I speculate. This is what I do because I'm a political commentator. I speculate. I think that at some point he is going to step down and they're going to install Kamala Harris as president before 2024 because they, there is no way that they are going to lose that opportunity because Kamala Harris could never make it out of a general election. They know it. She knows it. We all know it. So that is what is going to happen. That is what I think. That is my crystal ball prediction for how the Biden presidency ends. (laughs) 
Before we go, I want to thank my fellow Problematics so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rob Smith Online. Special thanks to our producer, John Cassio, researcher Aaron Kliegman, and executive producers Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, part of the Gingrich 360 Network.